probably the most familiar part of our Bible is the 23rd Psalm. And I was thinking of that Psalm as we had our little celestial event this last week. First of all, interpreted by that lovely song from Hare, where peace would guide the planet, love would steer the stars. And we had this alignment of our planets. And then interpreted by everyone else who could uh, find either a camera or a radio station or a newspaper or something. And we had various predictions from just merely parts of the continent falling into the ocean to uh, a complete smoky end to everything. Of course, none of those things happen. It's probably more tempting for us in this group to think that the time will come in which peace will guide the planet and love will steer the stars than it is to think that there will be some smoky end to it all. The 23rd Psalm is just an extraordinary piece. And I'm so glad that it's the most familiar part of our Bible. Possibly Paul's love song comes close to it. But it is a remarkable song. And I was reading it last night and this morning, and I noticed something that's probably probably many, many other people had noticed, but I just had never seen it before. And that is that there is this beautiful progression from earth to heaven. The psalm starts out, and of course the metaphor is a shepherd protecting his sheep. And the shepherd makes the sheep a place to, to eat and to sleep. Incidentally, uh, I didn't know this, but the rod and the staff at those times were actually used to beat down the leaves and prepare places for the sheep to sleep. Isn't that lovely? Because we think of the rod as something we, we spare and then spoil the child. And if we indeed thought of God as having a rod, um, we could only think of that possibly in very fearful terms. So this shepherd starts out and provides grass, provides needs, provides a place to sleep, provides the little green shoots, which is the literal translation of that part of the Psalms, the tender green shoots that come up. He finds these, which in that part of the world was not easy to find. And then he would lead the sheep beside the stream until he came to a place of still water. And all the time his function would be to comfort. 
Now, it's very interesting that nowhere in that psalm does it say, as it speaks to us, that God, who is our shepherd, will make this into a perfect world. It does not say that peace will guide the planet and love will steer the stars. Rather, it says that if we walk through the valley of death, even if the sheep go through the narrow passes where the predators are, even if the enemies are before us, that we will be protected. It does not say there will be no enemies. It does not say there will be no valley of death. It says rather that his comfort will be with us always. And it's very interesting in looking at the life of Jesus to see what did not happen in the world. Rome did not loosen its grip. The Pharisees did not stop their literalism. It would be very difficult, in fact, to see any major change in the politics or the thinking of the world at that time. But isn't that, as a group, what we have been led to think will happen by our application of spiritual truth that somehow we can bring about peace in this world that we can bring about a better political system that we can have better behaved children that we can have bodies that are not as sick not true that is not where our peace lies. That's not where our happiness lies. Our happiness lies in our shepherd and in the comfort of our shepherd. Now the ego looks over our shoulder as we read A Course in Miracles and the 23rd Psalm and Buddha and Shankara and Lao Tse and everyone else and tries to figure out how these ideas can be applied to bring about such a world as the Aquarian Age seemed to promise to some people. And once you begin noticing how your ego will do this, it becomes very funny. And it's good for it to become funny because now you see your ego doing it. So let's take, for example, the idea of peace. Because that psalm is so peaceful. I was out playing tennis. And I said to myself, out on the tennis court with my buddies, who were all over 70, and uh, <coughs> say, oh, to be 44 again. <laughs> As they watched me play. And... Uh, and as they soundly beat me. <laughs> I said, uh, 
It doesn't make any difference. <laughs> now, to the ego, it doesn't make any difference means that we sort of dampen down the importance of it. That's an application of a, of a spiritual idea. Oh, it doesn't make any difference, meaning it's not very important. But that's not what the 23rd Psalm or A Course in Miracles or any other statement of truth says. It says it doesn't make any difference, none whatsoever. Not that it's less important. Because if we try to take some great tragedy in our life and pretend that it's not important, we will feel the deep deception. That would just be an exercise in dishonesty. Because in terms of the world, it does make a difference. So to try to make it less important accomplishes nothing. It makes no difference is spiritual truth. And that statement cannot be applied. So there I was, and I was saying my only function is to be at peace. Now, as you go along, you begin to hear these two voices. The voice of God that says, simply be at peace. I'm here to comfort you. I will give you uh, the little green shoots of grass if that's what you need. I will give you the still waters if you need a drink. But I'm here to comfort you. The ego says, how can this be applied? So the ego always does two things. It judges, and then it asks, what change is called for? So if ever you want to know what the difference between the voice of God within you is saying, and the voice of, for most of us, we would call it the voice of the higher ego, the voice that uses truth. Still ego, but it's a higher ego. Because we're not going to listen to voices that say, go out and mug and... Uh, go out and uh, abscond with all the funds and go out. We're not going to do that. This group is beyond that. But no one in this room is beyond hearing the voice of the ego. And the way it comes at this point is what might be called the higher ego. So this uses truth. It takes the same words of truth, but it tries to apply them. And in applying them, of course, there is no peace. So, as I started to serve, my higher ego said, what is a peaceful serve? <laughs> Does a peaceful serve have a lot of top spin? Is a peaceful serve an ace? Would that truly be peaceful? Said my higher ego. Should I rush the net after I serve? I know this is a ludicrous picture of, of me rushing the net. <laughs> Would this indeed be peaceful? And God says, seek only me. God doesn't get involved in these ridiculous questions. <laughs> In the manual, 
there is a very interesting section which I have read once before, but I'd like to read to you one more time. Because since you don't know the 23rd Psalm, as we all found out, we've got to be like, I mean, you're going to go out and people are going to say, now where do you go to church? You say, well, I, I go to the dispensable church. And you'll hear these little clucking sounds in their throat. <laughs> so there has to be great education take place at the dispensable church so that you can walk proudly among the other Sunday churchgoers, you see. For example, you should know that the 23rd Psalm was not Davidic. It wasn't written by David, but don't say that it's not Davidic. <laughs> it was written, of course, in the Persian period. Of, co of course, of course. <laughs> what did you do in church? Well, we discussed the 23rd Psalm. Of course, uh, as you know, it's not Davidic. It was written in the Persian period. You see, this is what you say. <laughs> Well, how do you know that? Well, because in Egypt and uh, Babylonia, Israel, and so forth, the, the rulers were referred to as shepherds during that period. Oh, of course, the other church member will say, I know that too. Of course, they didn't know that. So in addition to this, you should also know how the world will end since that's what we've been talking about on television, even on Nightline, right? How will the world end? And does the alignment of stars bring about the end of the world? The world will end in joy because it is a place of sorrow. When joy has come, the purpose of the world has gone. The world will end in peace because it is a place of war. When peace has come, what is the purpose of the world? The world will end in laughter because it is a place of tears. Where there is laughter, who can longer weep? And only complete forgiveness brings all this to bless the world. In blessing, it departs, for it will not end as it began. To turn hell into heaven is the function of God's teachers. For what they teach are lessons in which heaven is reflected. And now sit down in true humility and realize that all God would have you do, you can do. Do not be arrogant and say you cannot learn his own curriculum. His word says otherwise. His will be done. It cannot be otherwise. And be you thankful it is so. So A Course in Miracles does not promise us a perfectible world. This is why truth is so simple, so simple that it has been discarded by the ego throughout the, the ages. 
We simply go in peace, remain in the present, love and laugh together. Go in peace, stay in the present, love and laugh together. Would you join me saying that? Go in peace, stay in the present, love and laugh together. To do that is to wake up. To do that is to enter another reality. To do that is to join with God. It isn't to perfect the world. It isn't to have a better serve in tennis or better behaved child. The ego looks around and says, I don't like my life, which is the only thing the ego can say. <laughs> says it, just says it. It has a thousand ways of saying it. I think I'll get a new car, or a new house, or a new child, <laughs> or a new husband, or a new wife, or a new best friend. Because the one thing the ego knows is it does not like this world. And God indeed, God our higher self, God, that love that surrounds us all. God, that gentle voice that speaks within each mind. Knows that we don't like this world either. But as this section concluded. God points out that the only way to turn hell into heaven. Because indeed there is a hell and we're in it. <coughs> is to love your way out of it. Because by loving, you see the presence of God. And as we've said before here, this can be extremely confusing to people on a spiritual path. Because when you begin to love God, suddenly this world can turn to splendor. And we think we've learned how to manipulate the world. Now, what's not recognized is this other thing that happens so that there's this throwing of the switch back and forth, back and forth as we walk into the heart of God. The one thing that happens is this turning to light, this declaring of nice day that God seems to do periodically. Where we can't think of anyone we don't love. where a meditation in which you're asked to forgive someone seems crazy because there's no one you need to forgive. And we all have moments like that. The other thing that happens, however, is that the switch then is thrown and we look directly at this world. We look at what the ego has created. It would indeed be lovely if peace could guide the planet in love could steer the stars, but the ego would never allow that to happen. And this world is the outpicturing of the ego. Not the world that God made, not God's creation, but this world of loneliness and separated bodies and deteriorating flesh and people losing their hearing and people losing their eyesight and their friends and children starving. 
and friends getting together just to talk against other friends. And we're so hurt when we hear about this. And people climbing over other people to get ahead at work. And children being born with deformities. And little kids getting excruciating forms of cancer. This is the other switch, and it must be looked at. Not to dislike, but to see the true nature. And our mind does do that. So there's this throwing of the switch, and we see the carnage, the slaughterhouse around us. We see the silent weeping, the desperation in the night. Those of us who have done some work in crisis know the calls that come in the middle of the night. But there is no one in this room who does not know the feeling. What is the purpose of it all? That's the throwing of the switch. But how do we forgive that? We forgive it by seeing that it doesn't matter. And this is a horrifying thought to the ego and can be extremely controversial if it's not heard in its entire context. So if you just go out and tell someone it doesn't matter that their child has just run over, there is no way that person is going to understand that, nor would that be comforting, nor is there any love or peace in that, nor is there any waking in a statement like that. So we don't begin with these highly charged subjects like bankruptcy and divorce, senility, endless pain, addiction. We begin with what we think of as just the normal everyday life, which uh, the ego says is it's pretty good. It's all right, you know. Walking down the street. Got some good threads on? It's okay. Got a little stack of green papers there in the that building over there? A little plastic card? Draw on that anytime. Need the mail tonight? Need a hundred dollars? Put your little plastic card in. It's okay. <laughs> So it's here that we begin to understand this basic concept that this world is not perfectible, but the peace of God is attainable. So let me just go through a few sort of common stumbling blocks that we all have, just things that come up. And let's, let's just look at at the truth in terms of situations that are common to almost everyone in this room. Not everyone, but almost everyone. Let's take, for example, a direct attack. Now, everyone experiences this. It's very interesting what Jesus did not do when the crowd picked up stones and started throwing them at him. He didn't turn and say, 
Why are you doing? I didn't say that. He didn't. He didn't stand. I didn't say that. That's not what I said. He didn't do that. Nor did he say, "Well, I think you've got a point." <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He didn't try to justify their reasoning. What did he do? Did he go into some form of meditation and uh, crinkle up his body and uh, and bring the whole crowd to peace? No, the crowd kept throwing stones. What did he do? He just walked away. After he got away, did he start asking himself, I wonder why they did that? <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible does it say that he spent long hours wondering why they had thrown stones at him. But we do that every time through. Just a little pebble, someone just lobs a little pebble at us. We'll spend all day wondering why they did that. <laughs> The reason that we do that is that we think there's something rational within this world. We think it had a reason. It had no reason. This world is insane. <laughs> it can't be figured out. It's, it's in the same category, although much more difficult to understand this other category of the child being born blind. So here we are, and we're suddenly under direct attack. This is an extreme situation, but it happens to all of us. Suddenly, someone's yelling at us. What do we do? Well, we don't have to see their point. And this is one of the mistakes that people on a spiritual path often make. They think, well, somehow I've got to listen carefully. This is rational. And I've got to assure them that I understand that uh, there's a there's a... There's a lot of uh, reason in what they're saying. There isn't any reason in an attack. There may be a good intention, but there is no reason in attack. It's completely illogical. It leads nowhere. Now, most people on a spiritual path have, lear have already learned the absolute uselessness of attacking back, which is, of course, the other thing, because... In saying, your point is well taken, I'll try to remember that. Or uh, maybe I should think more about that. The other side of the coin is that we attack back. Both assume that there's something reasonable going on in the situation. So we must learn to say no to the ego. And for people on a spiritual path, this is sometimes a very difficult lesson to learn because they equate yes with love and no with uh, hatred or dislike or something that's not spiritual. We must say no to the ego. Very gently, but very firmly. And so with the direct attack, as in all other cases, we follow an extremely simple procedure. Now, the procedure is not behavioral. Notice that the lessons in A Course in Miracles, the, the workbook, never tell you how to behave. They tell you how to remember the truth of God, 
but not how to behave. There is no place in A Course in Miracles where you're told how to behave. This is the ego trying to apply spiritual truth. So the procedure is simply that we turn to God through our higher self. We turn to peace. We enter into peace. We fall back into love. In whatever way it comes to us to do, we may say some words of truth to ourselves. We may, we may just be silent. We may just start blessing this person who is screaming at us, speaking to their higher mind instead of wrangling with their ego. It's very interesting what happens when you address the other person's higher mind with your mind. Now your higher mind is speaking to their higher mind. It's extremely interesting what happens. Usually, not always, the person will be grateful that you haven't responded to their ego. It'll, there's a sort of a lessening of the attack because they realize you haven't bought it. Not that you've shown some arrogance, but they see your gentleness and they see that you still love them. And this sort of takes the wind out of the sails of the ego. You just very silently start blessing them. But you do not have to remain there for an hour and a half and be dressed down. You just bless them because you have gone deep within your heart and you are at peace. And out of this peace came an answer. Now this is the other thing that so often people on a spiritual path and people who study Course in Miracles get confused about. Possibly they see that truth has nothing to do with behavior. Possibly they see that an idea of God is a reality. It is entered into. It is not applied. It's like a, a beautiful hot tub filled with love that we just submerse in. That's what an idea of God is. That's what a thought of God is. Nothing needs to be done about it. Before we thought that our guidance was guiding us somewhere. Guidance doesn't guide us anywhere. There's no place to go in this world. There's no right or wrong answer. Guidance doesn't guide us somewhere. Guidance allows us to enter into the thought of God, the idea of God, the peace of God. And to be happy and to relax and to take one more step out of hell by doing this. So we have paused. We have developed this new habit. We're being attacked. We don't go back to our old defense mechanism. We don't reach back to something that seemed to work once before. But this time, we pause because we remember the 23rd Psalm. Because we remember how the world will end in laughter and in peace and in joy and in gentleness and in love. That's how the carnage will end. We remember that. And so we're still. And out of this stillness will come 
something to do. Now this is very important. Remember the little green blades of grass are provided. I will not leave you comfortless. All your needs will be supplied. Whatever you need to know will be told to you, says A Course in Miracles. Out of this peace will come something simple to do, which may be thank the person, maybe you reach out and touch them, and you leave. That's not an unkindness. It is not unkind to say no to the ego. It is unkind to say yes to the ego. That strengthens that part of that person's mind for you to respond to it, for you to get into some sort of dance step with their ego. And remember, there are two dances to do, attack back or agree. You're neither agreeing or attacking back. You're withdrawing in peace with a blessing. Maybe you reach out and touch it. Whatever it is that comes to you to do. This is so important to our happiness to understand that we can say no and must say no in gentleness and peace to the ego. Let's take raising children. Now most people, raising children is just one of the most terrifying subjects that's ever occupied their mind. It just becomes one of these things that won't go away. They don't know what to do. Uh, I remember uh, Gail and I were in a, in a group that was led by a wonderful man by the name of Bob Hall, psychiatrist. He used to be a Gestalt therapist. I don't know if he still is or not, but I know he's still dispensing light and joy. And in this group, in California, there was a woman, and he had the woman go all the way around this group, and to everyone in the group, she said, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. She had to go all the way around the group. This is what the eagles always do, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Our eagles always saying that. Agree with it quickly. <laughs> it doesn't know what to do. <laughs> we turn to peace and then act. So here's what happens with raising children. Oftentimes people on a spiritual path say, think that they always have to say yes. They always have to say yes. Because somehow they will hurt this this fragile wonderful little nature this little nature and if they say no they're going to damage this little nature and it's the little nature is tearing the house to pieces <laughs> and they sit there in terror this is supposed to be an act of love that they don't say no to their child but look in the heart of the person that has decided on this behavior it's now locked in place. Are they consulting God? No. They're consulting their rule. Never say no. That's a rule. They're not consulting God. And look at the devastation that it causes. Now people who are not on a 
spiritual path often think that they always have to say no. And they get just as terrified about this. And so the child has to go to sleep at 7.30 at night. Now where did this rule come from? But somehow it's gotten locked in. This is a rule. And the issue now is the child has to do it. So finally the child understands this and child get the child into bed. But uh, 20 minutes later, the child wants to have a story read to them. No! No story! They're supposed to be asleep. Do you understand this? But did you know what? They would like to read the story to the child. It would be fun to read the story to the child, perhaps. They might like it. They haven't consulted the peace of God. This is some behavior. This is some idea. Well-meant idea applied to the situation. Adhere to it. Adhere to it at all costs. So what does the 23rd Psalm and A Course in Miracles and every other spiritual teaching say? The same thing. Forget your defenses. Forget your automatic reactions to your child. Your child is there to bless you. As everything is in this world when seen through the eyes of love. When seen through the eyes of love. Only when seen through the eyes of love because when we see it through the eyes of love we see the God that's there. So our spouse is there to make us happy. Our house cleaner is there to make us happy. Our neighbor is there to make us happy when seen through the eyes of love. So the child does something. Now our goal is peace. It's to lie down by the gentle stream, by the still waters. That's our goal. Why? Because by entering peace, we enter God. By entering peace, we're happy. By entering peace, we bless. By entering peace, we bring this carnage to an end. And as it's brought to an end, indeed, it does illuminate. Then it's seen for what it is, and then it illuminates. And this path is so gentle and so happy. So our child does something that surprises us. What is our reaction? First, we seek the peace of God, just as we did with the attack of the friend or the associate at the office or so forth. If you need to get out of the room, get out of the room. If you need to go in the bathroom, go in the bathroom. Do whatever you need to do to consult the peace of God. As you've heard me say before, we... We cry on toilets. There's no reason we can't pray on toilets. So just do whatever you need to do to consult the peace of God. Sink deeply into God's peace. Just relax. Let a little of the gentleness, the sweetness of Jesus Christ flow through you. Or whatever words you want to use makes no difference it doesn't care what we call it 
Let the sweet, sweet love of Jesus Christ flow through you. Just for a second. This isn't a long procedure. Now, something will come to you to do. It will be very simple. I promise you, it will come to you to do. Out of this peace, something simple, something that will make the problem better. Now, we don't try to make the problem better in the future. That's why we don't set this grand rule in place. Let's take, for example, manners, which just becomes, you know, as people drive themselves crazy about manners. Isn't it obvious that in some restaurants it's okay for the kid to stand up on his chair and even go visit people? Other restaurants, this would cause great distress. What is the purpose of the rule that you may never get out of your chair? What is the purpose of that rule? So instead we just consult the peace of God within us and something comes to us to do, which may be to pick the, the child up and take it outside and talk to it for a while. And then, you know, it may be anything. I don't know what it will be. It may be something, some people have a very simple uh, thing that sometimes comes to them. And that is, uh, you can either sit down in your chair or I will sit you down in your chair. Uh, you can either stop stabbing the table with a fork. <laughs> Or I will take the fork from you, and I will count to five while you decide. When I get to five, I will simply take the fork. Again. This is very gentle. There's no, you can love the child while you're doing this. You don't have to threaten them with, uh, you're going to take away their slide and their swing set and you know, all the dessert and so forth. <laughs> something gentle, something straightforward will come. Do it and do it with confidence. Well, this procedure is very, very simple. All that's important is the peace of God. We consult the peace of God. Out of the peace of God will come something to do. Do it with certainty. At this big conference that was in India, there was a, a very uh, general little peace pledge that all the, uh, the teachers and the gurus and all the people had come were supposed to sign. It was very general. It just simply said that you're for peace and so forth. You're against war and a few things like that. Mother Teresa didn't sign it. Father Muktananda didn't sign it. Do you know why? They didn't get together on this answer. Do you know why? They said, we want to love the other people too. The people who aren't for peace. Isn't that interesting? Where could such an answer come from except that these two people, along with many, 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 many others, not singling them out, but these people obviously consult the peace of God within them, and they act so simply. When the world called to Mother Teresa to be famous and said, you can lecture all over the world, you can dispense your ideas to millions of people, She said, no, thank you. She accepted her Nobel Prize and went back to the streets of Calcutta, picking up dying people, carrying them in her arms, and placing them in beds. That's what she did. Why? She is not interested in attempting to bring 
peace to this planet. It's not a possibility. She helps the people that she can help. She practices the peace of God. She joins with God every moment. Her life is extremely simple. She walks the same road every day. Those of you who have seen the camera follow her around, there is no hesitation in what she does. Here, here comes the bus. It's come up to a, to a, a bridge. The, the river is raging. The bridge is about to go out. Mother Teresa says, go over the bridge. I go over the bridge. There's no hesitation. She consults. There's this dialogue with peace inside of her. She acts with peace, with certainty, with fearlessness. Let's take illness. Illness is another one. One of these places where, what am I supposed to do? How do I apply this? You see, if, I, if, I, if all this is true and if I know all this, why am I sick? And of course, it's just terrifying when you look at the way this world deals with illness. Now, recently in Santa Fe, there's been, uh, there's been some sort of influenza something kind of thing going around where kids have got sore throats and, and, and sore ears and everything. All right. Sore ears. What are you going to do about sores? Well, there's a group of people that says use olive oil and, and garlic. There's another group that says um, use um, no, no. All right. use olive oil and garlic. Now, what's the answer to that? Is Well, the answer to that, the ego says, is yes, but uh, this bacterial infection can develop extremely rapidly, puncture the ear, uh, damage the child's brain, and so forth and so forth. Another group says, use uh, an antibiotic. And then there's a plethora of, uh, of articles on what the antibiotics do. Antibiotics called, cause mental ear. Uh, derangement and therefore uh, bring about dyslexia. You see. Other people use forms of massage. Oh, no, you, I, I'm not telling you anything. You know that every time you get sick that you can hear 500 different things to do and everybody that you get your remedy from will tell you why the other remedy is absolutely going to destroy your body and your mind and everything else. You're going to, you're going to be a lump if you do what these other people are saying to do. Now, we have to be terrified if we turn to the world for our peace. There is no peace in the world. There will never be any peace in this world. The world will gently dissolve into the kingdom of heaven, but it is not perfectible. And so there is no perfect remedy out there. There never will be. So what do we do with illness? We see that we're... We have a, an earache, or we've got a headache, or we've got whatever it is we've got. Got diarrhea, or whatever it is. So what do we do? We turn to God. We sink deeply into the peace of God. And out of that will come something for us to do. Us to do. God knows your ego very well. God knows your personal beliefs of what will work and what won't work very well. They're not the same as everyone else's. Isn't it obvious that there are a thousand different remedies because each one 
works for different people. No remedy works the same. Our belief system is slightly different than anyone else's. We don't know that belief system. We sink into the peace of God, and from that will come something to do. Do it quickly. Do it with certainty. You don't have to take a stand and say, uh, <coughs> never take medicine or only take natural medicine. Or, or, you don't have to do anything except turn to the peace of God and it will tell you what to do. You don't have to, if you do this, I'm going to make you another promise. <coughs> if you will go deep within yourself, and find the peace of God and do what floods into your mind instantly it will have no dire consequences it just won't the thing that has consequences is fear not love it's when we jump from this remedy to that remedy to that remedy or no remedies at all we're just going to gut this out some way or whatever it is we've done that is what has dire consequences Let's take great love relationships. Talked about great love relationships last time. Very briefly, I understand. Oh, incidentally, what I'm talking about today is there must be a better way, you see. <laughs> I know you all read this in the paper, and that, of course, is what we've been talking about, right? This is the better way. There's the way of the ego, the way of fear, the way of application of truths, the way of perfecting the world, the way of changing this and changing that, judging and changing, judging and changing. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? That's the old way. The new way is you need do nothing. There's nothing to do. There isn't even a world out there. Go in peace. Remain in the present. Love and laugh together. That's all there is to do. Now, if you don't have a great love in your life, this doesn't have to become a battle. Usually there's someone to love. There may be a maybe your mother, it may be your sister, maybe a child, maybe a maybe a dog, it may be anything. But it also may be that your egos are such that if you were to set out to form a holy relationship with this person in the terms that you would be tempted to think of a holy relationship appearing, what it would look like, that you would set yourself up for an impossible struggle. So form your relationship, your holy relationship with God. Mother Teresa, Baba Mukhananda, Jerry Jampolsky and a hundred thousand others don't have a special, they don't have a holy relationship in that sense that there's someone who walks by their side. But unquestionably they have this dialogue with God, this holy relationship with God. Let that be. You don't, you don't have to, when I said last Sunday, struggle to make this person happy in your life, 
That does not mean on an ego level. You can't make the ego happy. There are many things in this world that are designed specifically to make the ego happy, and they fail miserably. Certain uh, television programs, for example, are designed purely to make the ego happy. So there is tremendous emphasis on uh, revenge and on uh, uh, anger and so forth. Now, what happens is it, it appears as if it might make us happy to sit down and watch one of these programs. And for heaven's sake, if you think it's going to make you happy to do that, do it. Once again, nothing that I'm saying has anything to do with behavior. Nothing has anything to do with changing behavior. We're just pointing out how this world operates and how we operate within it. So we can choose the peace of God. But what happens, for example, I'm just taking this as an example of something that's designed. There are many, many things that are designed to make the ego happy. So there are certain programs on television that are designed specifically to make the ego happy. It doesn't matter which ones they are. And if you're in the habit of watching it, go ahead and watch it. It makes no difference whatsoever. But let's, let's just look what in fact happens. You sit down, you look at this program, and you get up and you're a little bit more depressed than you were. You see? And it pulled every string that was supposed to be pulled. Because before you sat down, you're feeling a little lonely or you're feeling a little bored or something like that. And sure enough, during the course of the program, there seemed to be some excitement. And you seem to sort of be uh, in there in the talk show or whatever the thing is. I'm, I'm not saying that talk shows are designed purely for the ego. There's all kinds of talk shows. But I mean... There you are, and you do, and then you get, and you, it's, it's kind of like your energy's a little less. You see, that's just one of a thousand things in this world that are designed specifically for the ego. The ego can't be made happy. All that matters is the peace of God. That's the only thing real. That is our destiny, the love of God. That's where we join with every living thing. Is on that level, the level of peace and gentleness. Devote your day to peace. Now, there are instructions in the workbook. Lots of instructions. But notice that the instructions don't tell you how to behave. They tell you how to remember. You, Lord, you, Lord, oh, you remember me. I will remember you. That's the only thing we have to do. Is remember God. And then we enter God. We don't do anything. We remember God. We remember peace. We remember gentleness. We remember love. When do you remember God? A Course in Miracles is simply pointing out different situations in which you can remember God. Situations in which you will be especially tempted not to remember God. And maybe the most important of all is when you wake in the morning. Because if you wake from a dream, as we usually do, although we don't always wake from a dream. I'm sure all of you know about 
the dream states and the frequency of dreams and the periods of between dream states and all that. If you wake from a dream, you're waking from an almost pure ego state. Nothing wrong with it. It's just that's what it is. So it's, it's simply a mimicking of the Son of God, using Course in Miracles terms, falling asleep. So the child of God fell asleep. Adam fell asleep, however you want to say it. Now, dreaming at night, sleeping at night, is just a mimicry of that. So it's even once removed from that. So it's quite clear that as we go through the day, we have a little more access to God than we do, say, in a dream. This, is, this doesn't mean that, that there's anything wrong with dreams that need to be feared. And what, in fact, happens as the mind begin, becomes flooded with love and peace isn't that you stop dreaming so much as the dreams begin to fade. So it's almost like there's little shadows in the distance. It's just that they don't become all-consuming. They don't lead into the day and not, you know, you're wrapped up for a while with the dream state and so forth. It's just that it's just sort of fades. And that's exactly what happens with every single thing else, with these great needs that we have. They just sort of fade. All these ways that we protect ourselves, this constant protecting of the body, just we just kind of lose interest in it. It's not that we stop eating or sleeping or anything like that. It's just that it becomes unimportant. Very unimportant. So possibly the most important time to remember. And of course, in one sense, what we're attempting to do is to pray without ceasing, is to remember all the time. Why? Because it'll make us happy all the time. Is the morning. And in the morning, you can turn your thought to God rather than what you had to do today, which is pure ego. There is nothing to do today except to be happy, stay in the present, be at peace. That's all there is to do today. That's the only thing that means anything. That's what takes you forward. Nothing else you do will have any bearing on anything. So what should you think as you go through the day? What will make you happy to think? Who should you see? Those that will make you happy to see. It's not because the activity makes you happy, because you just find yourself doing this naturally, because your purpose is to be happy and to be at peace. Why? Because God is peace. God is happiness. Because God is a reality. Because God is absolute substance that can be entered into. How is God entered into? Because God is here. Where is the kingdom of heaven? Here. How is God entered into? By being happy. Why? Because God is happiness. So when you enter happiness, when you become happy, you're doing far more than just appeasing your ego. As a matter of fact, your ego may not like what you're doing. But you enter a reality. And you can get some sense of this in the morning as you, as you build your mountain of peace, just for a minute or two. As you construct your mountain of peace around you. This living light that you wrap around and around you before you've begun your day. And you see how important it is to you 
to be happy and to love and to bless and to be gentle and to be free and to be fearless. And you feel this cloak of light around you, which is God himself, which comes to you so personally. There could be an actual <coughs> sense of substance about this peace in the morning. Now this mountain of peace is around you. If you have your holy relationship, bring that in to this. You and this other person. Bring in your Lord, your Savior, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, whoever you want to. They're all the same thing. Bring this into your mountain of peace. This cloak of light. Bring it there. Now you start your day. Now watch the world. Watch the world. Watch this distress come. Watch that. Don't fight it. Don't try to change behavior. Don't tell people how to behave. Don't resist them. Don't do anything. Just watch this come and melt against your mountain of peace. So you just look at the ego. Let it approach your mountain of peace. Look at it. You'll see how crazy it is. Turn to God. Turn to peace. And do what it is that comes to you to do. So you're tired. Maybe it'll come to you to take a nap. <laughs> it's all right. There's nothing unspiritual about taking a nap. 